should have something that we have raised at the beginning of the show, but um, what's a Lutheran view of justification? The article <laughs> upon which <laughs> <laughs> yes, the church stands yes. This is something we will talk about at length yeah. if we do go through the um, Augsburg Confession yeah. together because that's yeah. the, the key article. Yeah. Uh, and this is, you're right, the, uh, you know, as Lutherans will say, this is the article on, upon which the church stands or falls. If you get this one right, everything will be right. Yeah. If you get this wrong, everything will be wrong. And this is simply the promise from God that we are saved as a gracious gift from him. When we read through scripture and we, we, we read about the state of fallen humanity, we see that we are by nature God's enemies. Our own human nature does not want to do what God wants us to do. We are sinners. Period. That's just the basic fact of our existence. And that means that if we stand before God as a right, the righteous judge that he is, and we are judged on the merit of what we have done, we will be condemned. This is our basic... This is, this is the reality of humanity. The doctrine of justification is simply this. God is a loving God. He did not create us so that he could damn us and hold us guilty for our sin. And so as we stand before him as his enemies, guilty, deserving to be condemned, he looks at us with compassion and says, I don't want to do this. But at the same time, he is also a just God. The law has been broken. The penalty must be paid. These, these two things are both true. Yeah. And so, so God says, here's what I'm going to do. As a just and righteous God, I must demand that the penalty be paid. So I demand that the penalty be paid. But as your loving Heavenly Father, I don't want to demand that payment from you because if you have to pay it, you're going to have to pay for all eternity. And you and I will be separated forever. And I don't want that. So I'm going to pay it myself. And this is what he does. God himself becomes human. Stands in our place as a guilty sinner, even though he's not one, he stands there as one in our place. And he, he takes the responsibility, he takes the guilt for your sin and for mine, for the world. And he says, okay, I will stand here in their place as them. I'll stand here as the guilty sinner and I will pay the price. And so the full anger and fury of God's wrath is poured out on Jesus. God, God who has become man. And Jesus pays the full price for every sin, for all of humanity. 
everything you have ever done wrong, everything you will ever do wrong. And this is true for your grandparents and your grandkids and everyone else. He pays the price. The price is done. That's his crucifixion, his suffering, his death. This is why he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That forsakenness, that's the payment for sin. That's where God has to turn his back and say, as a holy God, I cannot, I cannot tolerate this sin in my presence. I turn my back on you and leave. Jesus is the one who's forsaken that way, not you. Jesus does it all. Now that's 2,000 years ago on the cross. Okay, the payment's been made. But now how do you get it? You're not in Jerusalem. And this is 2,000 years later. So there's the question of how does it come? But then also, what can you do to deserve it? How can you earn it? And the answer is you can't. Can you ever do something good enough to deserve God's suffering death? No. Can you ever do something good enough to earn God dying in your place? No. So God says, it's okay, it's a free gift. I'm just going to give it to you. It's, you don't earn it. You can't pay for it. And let's face it, we could never What's the cost of the life of the Son of God? More than humanity can ever pay for. And God knows this. He says, yes, Jesus paid that price for you. Jesus did this in your place. And now you get it as a free gift. Just giving it to you. And then this is where the means of grace comes in with the question, well, how does it come from Jerusalem 2,000 years ago to Addis Ababa in the year 2021 or 22 European calendar. This is where the means of grace come in. God says, well, I bring this to you through my living, active, powerful word. I deliver this to you through my word combined with water. I give this to you when my word is combined with this bread and this wine. And how is it that you have it? What do you do to hold on to it? You simply believe God's promise. That's what faith is. You believe that God's promise is true and you trust that God is keeping that promise with you. That's faith. God told you he's doing this for you and you you actually believe God. Uh, You actually put your hope that God, in in the fact that God does what God says he's going to do. You've got it. That's it. That's justification by grace through faith. Grace is just gift language. So justification, that's just the legal terminology of being declared just or innocent or not guilty or right. So justification is you being declared not guilty. You are now right with God. That's justification. By grace, grace is gift language. You can't pay for it. You don't earn it. God just gives it to you as a gift. Held by faith, that just simply means you heard God's promise and you trust it and you believe it. You, you recognize that, okay, God, God promised that he gave this to me. I believe he gave it to me. God promised he's done this for me. I believe he did it for me. God says he's going to save me. I trust that he's going to save me. 
that's it. So that, that's the that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'm into that. Yeah. Uh, what about what about faith? Uh, does it have anything to do with intellect? Intellect. There are some that argue that it does. Um, I do not. I. Uh, I rather than going to a theologian who has a philosophical answer about what faith must be, I prefer to let the Bible tell me. Uh, you know, this is God's word; God has told us, and so I, I look to the Bible, and, and God gives us a wonderful definition of faith in Scripture. Hebrews chapter eleven, verse one. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's the ESV okay. English translation. Now, did you hear intellect in there anywhere? <laughs> I didn't. What I heard was assurance. Okay, uh, I'm, I have this assurance. I have this comfort. I have this security in... The, the certainty of this hope, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So God has told me these things. I haven't seen them. He's made these promises to me. And I am absolutely certain and convinced that God is going to keep his promise. That's my hope. Yeah. Hey, that's faith. Yeah. That's the Bible's definition of faith. And we also see this just with the language. In, in English, sadly, we lose this. So in English, we have two very different looking words. Faith and um, belief. Believing. So... Faith, you know, we see in the English as a noun. Faith is the assurance. That's the noun, the subject of the sentence, faith. Um, believe, a nice verb. Just believe me. I'm telling you the truth. You know, what you do, you believe me. That's a, that's a verb. It's an action thing. So they're spelled very differently. They sound very differently. They're different parts of speech. They don't sound all that related But in the biblical Greek language, they are essentially the same root word. Uh, much like Amharic, you have a root, and then you can add suffixes, prefixes, infixes that'll change the function of the word in some way. But the basic root word is the same. Faith and belief in the biblical Greek, it does the same thing. The root word is the same. You have different endings that are put on it to change it from a noun to a verb or in a verb to make it past tense, future tense, whatever. Singular or plural is a noun. You change an ending. But it, the, the root word is actually the same. If you want to ask the question, what is faith? It's belief. Yeah. Believing is having faith. Yeah. So is it a good work? Is it our work? <laughs> Is it your work to believe a promise? Uh, if your mother hugs you and says, oh, son, I love you, 
is it your work to convince <laughs> yourself that what she said is true? No. No, not that's no, it's not. Yeah. A follow-up question to that. So we are forgiven of our sin on account of Christ, for yes. the sake of Christ, because of Christ. Yes. So there is nothing that we can do to earn eternal salvation or eternal life. No, there's not. Okay. So what is the relationship between good works and faith? Because as a Christian, most of the time we're accused that uh, oh, you Christians don't have uh, any place for the law of God or for good works because you say that I'm saved by faith alone. So you neglect good works. So how, what is the relationship between good works and faith in, in Lutheran theology? Anyone who makes that accusation has not read their New Testament yeah. Bible. Uh, what we see over and over is this beautiful promise of free salvation followed by a discussion that says, and now that you are, a, you are an innocent child of God, and now that you know who you are, this is how children of God behave. This is what you do to make your heavenly father happy. This is how your heavenly father expects his children to be. Um, and, and, and there are the works. Don't do these bad things. Do these good things. And very obviously, Scripture is telling us, this is who you are. This is what you do now. And these works are, one, they are expected, but two, these works are are produced in you. There are a few different places we could go to see this. Um, one of them, very simply, is in the book of Galatians where Paul lists the fruits of faith. Well, what are fruits? These are things that naturally grow from plants. I mean, what fruits do you know? What fruits do you like to eat? Avocado. Okay. Yeah. What's an avocado? It's something that naturally grows on an avocado tree. Now, we used to have an avocado tree in our backyard. You know, never once did I have to go out there and demand, tree, I expect you to produce an avocado. Now do it. It just naturally happened. It's what a tree does. An avocado tree naturally produces avocados. An apple tree naturally produces apples. And the fruits of the Spirit are what are naturally produced by those of this Spirit. So if you have been baptized, which Peter says in Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost Day, in that baptism, you have been given the Holy Spirit as a gift, so you now have the Spirit in your heart, and the Spirit naturally produces the fruits of these good works. What are you going to naturally, by your nature, do? Good works. Uh, another place to see this, and I love this because the two are put together, is Ephesians chapter 2. I love this section. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 1 to 10 is something 
everybody should read regularly. Right. But but for our the sake of a slightly shorter podcast, I've been going on no quite worries. a while now. <laughs> um, but just I'll, I'll just do this in in two verses, not three verses, eight, nine, and ten. Okay. So Ephesians chapter two, verses eight, nine, and ten. For by grace, there's that gift yeah. language, yeah. free, given to you. You don't do anything to earn it. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But we go on. For... We are his workmanship created in Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the salvation is totally free gift. You becoming a child of God is totally free gift. But in making you to be a child of God, you now live by nature the life of a child of God. And that means, what was that? You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Those good works will follow. Yeah. Yeah. I think Luther says, God doesn't need your good work. Your neighbor does. Yes, and yes. Uh, so yes. maybe what are the good works? Because most people try to spiritualize uh, the good works. So maybe for our audience, uh, What does it mean and how can they uh, do good works? Maybe if you could answer this question in light of vocation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you really want this to be a 12-hour podcast, don't you? <laughs> so the ease, there, you know, there are plenty of ways we could do this. Um, we, we could go to Galatians and the, the list of the fruits yeah. of the spirits there. We can go towards the end of almost every epistle Paul writes yeah and see lists of the things we should do. The end of Ephesians 5, going to Ephesians 6, is, a, is another good example of a list of what we should do. And if you want to talk about vocation, that's actually a good place to go. Um, but where I would start this, and remember, good works are work. So let's start with Jesus when he's questioned. You know, what about the law? About when Jesus is questioned about law and works, he says, the greatest is to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Let's start there. Now, and this, we could also, another good place to go for this would be the Ten Commandments. Yeah. And I would strongly urge anyone listening If you want to really start to understand the Ten Commandments, let Luther be your guide. Yeah. Look at this in the small and large catechism. You know, uh, for instance, uh, okay, Jesus says the first and greatest of these good works, keeping the law, yeah. is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Well, it's easy for him to say, oh, yeah, I do that. Well, what does that even mean? Luther, on the first commandment, makes this very clear. Loving God means to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. So where do you put your love and interest? Mm -hmm. Are you spending all of your time in God's word? 
is your greatest love the opportunities you have to go to church or are you a little more excited to see how Ethiopia is going to do playing Senegal in an upcoming football game? Or are you more interested in going to spend time with your wife or your girlfriend, whatever, you know, if you're married or single, whichever it is, where, you know, where is that love really? Or, you know, what are the things that keep you up worrying at night? Are you more afraid of your finances or are your thoughts on God? You know, whatever is driving you, if, if you lay awake at night really afraid of something, that thing that you fear the most, by Luther's definition, that's your God. Mm-hmm. So on the love God side, you know, we've, we've got, Luther's got that covered pretty easily. Love your neighbor side, look at the, you know, look at commandments as the Lutherans label them, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10, and you'll have good guidance there. Um, Jesus sums this up, just love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And tied in with your, I mean, God doesn't need your good works, but but your neighbor does. Okay, love that neighbor as yourself. What If you were in your neighbor's shoes, what would you want done for you? If you see someone hurting, how are you helping them? If you see someone going astray, what are you doing to call them back to the right path? Uh, that, you know, what are you doing for others? As opposed to what are you doing for you? Is the easiest way to start listing out good, you know, list, listing good works. Um, but I would start with the question of, what are you doing that helps someone else? Because very often, when people start spiritualizing their good works, mm-hmm. it, those are things that are only focused on them. Mm-hmm. You know, everything from the old uh, Syrian hermit monks who went off in a cave. You know, the, boy, they. They spiritualized what they were doing in so many ways, but they weren't serving one neighbor, not once. Uh, you know, or, or hearing people, oh yes, I, I, my good work. I have this ministry where I am out handing out tracts in the neighborhood. But you're a young, but you're a mother with very young kids. Where are your kids? Hmm. Are you taking care of them? Are you helping them? And this is one where you can start doing it by vocation, yeah. which also helps. Yeah. Uh, and and some of this Luther will touch on in his catechisms, but also this this is a case where e- Ephesians five yeah. is, is very helpful. Um, and so when you want to talk about good works, you know, look at good works in relationship to your vocation. And vocation's a, a word we don't necessarily use a lot, but mm-hmm. your place in life and the responsibilities that God has mm-hmm. given you in life. So are you a husband or a wife? Well, then Ephesians, you know, Ephesians 5 has something to say about that. Now, a lot of modern Western women don't like it because mm-hmm. it starts with, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And there are a whole lot of feminists that just stop reading right there. I'm done with that. <laughs> well, if they kept reading, they'd see right after this husband, uh, this, it says, the, you know, the husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, you know, look at how Christ loved the church. Did he come down here demanding to be served? Or to serve. He was here to serve. 
And did he make decisions that made life comfortable for himself or better for the church? Better for the church. Did he demand that the church sacrifice on his behalf or did he sacrifice on behalf of the church? He sacrificed on behalf of the church. And right here, the Bible is saying to these husbands, do that for your wife. Now you could, and ultimately, if we want to chase this to the end, what did Christ do for the church? He died for her. So you're saying, husbands, live your life doing what is best for the church, meeting her needs. Now, of course, this doesn't mean just let your wife boss you around and do whatever she wants to do. Christ didn't do that with the church. When the church tried to sin, Christ said no. When the when people tried to put a wrong demand on Christ, he said, That's not what I'm here to do. So this isn't just saying, husbands, let your wife be the boss. It's not saying that. Um, but it is saying do what's right for her. Make decisions based on her needs, and right down to the point of husband, you better be ready to die for her if that's really what needs to be done. So it makes that wife submit to your husband's look pretty small in comparison. Yeah. But, you know, after this section, we go on, and there's children and parents. Parents obey your children, or children obey your parents, but then uh, parents, fathers, do not provoke your children to, to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. goes on to talk about servants and masters. We could talk employers yeah. and employers. Now, an easy place to get this whole issue of vocation is in Luther's small catechism. At the end of it, there's something called the table of duties. Yeah. And when you look at that, Luther has gone through and selected verses on many of the different positions that human beings find themselves in. Mm. Some, are the, some are the same here. Yeah. Husband or wife, parent and child, um, master. master and servant, which again, in modern terms, yeah. we'd move to employer-employee. Yeah. Uh, king or government yeah. citizens civilians i there you know luther lays out there are plenty there's plenty of guidance here in scripture on what is a good god-pleasing work or not and that's where, where, where i would say to start start with what scripture explicitly says these are these are the right works expected of you and then then beyond that, you can ask others. So that young mother who wants to go hand out tracts, well, first of all, is she meeting the needs of her children or is handing out these tracts going to hurt that? Is she meeting the needs of her husband or is going out and handing out these tracts going to hurt that? If going out in this special ministry means neglecting her children, then she's in the wrong direction. If, on the other hand, this is something she can do while not violating the demands or expectations of her station in life as mother, then fine, go do that ministry. No problem. It's a good thing. But the starting point are those things that Scripture lays out for you clearly. And these, and these make no mistake, these are good works. And this is something Luther talks about wonderfully uh, the it, he contrasts these false spiritual works of the monks yeah. uh, imagining things that must be pleasing to God even though they're nowhere in the Bible, yeah. and he contrasts that with the the young 
the young mother changing a child's dirty diaper yeah. and says that the mother's doing the mother's the one really doing the god pleasing good yeah, work yeah. whereas personally i don't think any of us think oh what are the good works of the church go change a dirty diaper <laughs> <laughs> you know none of us think yeah, of it that yeah. way but luther lays it right out there and says you know god put that child in your hands care for that child that's a good work mm-hmm. uh, same could be said you know if you're if you have a little plot of land and you're growing vegetables, God gave you that dirt and he gave the opportunity to feed your family, care for those plants. That's a good work. Uh, if God gave you the skills to be an auto mechanic and you're repairing cars so that your neighbors can drive to the places they need to go and, and through this work you can feed and support the family that God gave you, then being an honest, hardworking mechanic that's a good work. You're serving your neighbor and you're supporting your family. Those are the people God put around you in your life and you're taking care of that. That's love your neighbor as yourself. That's a good work. It, yes. it makes life more meaningful. Yes. People depend on you based on your vocation and you depend on other people based on your vocation. Yes. So unless we are faithful in the station, the vocation God has called us, life won't be easy. Yeah. <laughs> right. But also, as we are faithful in those, we start to understand that is God working in us to serve our neighbor. And that's a beautiful thing. So the person, the day laborer, his job has important meaning. God is serving the people around him through the back-breaking hard work of that day laborer. That changes everything. If that's God working through that man to serve his neighbor, then what he is doing is just as righteous, just as holy, and just as important as what the priest is doing or what the president is doing. (laughs) So powerful. so So we serve God and our neighbors in our calling. Yes, yes. And that is a that is a holy righteous thing of which we can be proud of regardless of what station we find ourselves in.